Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 24. Genesis 24 is where we're going to start tonight. We're seeing the book of Genesis, of course, the four lives, really four great men, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And we've been seeing their lives. We've been seeing some different events. And the first five lessons primarily hit with Abraham. And if you had to look at it, uh, verses, uh, chapter, um, lessons one through five, Abraham, and then basically six is Isaac, and then seven, eight, nine are going to be more of Jacob, and then uh, maybe in ten, then maybe eleven, twelve, thirteen, and fourteen are going to be Joseph. That's how it's going to be. Uh, it, there's so much there. I was just telling them right before everybody got here. I, you know, I'm I'm working already up to lesson nine. I've got lesson nine done, so I'll be. I'm also working on lesson ten. But you wouldn't believe all the stuff that is in there. I mean, there's, I mean, just like tonight, there's so much stuff. And then when you really look at it, there's just so much there. And so we're looking at Abraham, and there are a lot of events and a lot of truths. We've already seen Abraham's faith, that he is willing to sacrifice his son, which is just beyond comprehension. He knew that God was going to bring the Messiah through his son, and so he knew that God would must have to raise him from the dead. As we continue tonight, we're going to see a little bit more with his son Isaac and the Isaac getting the bride and all that. And um, when you think about it, Isaac is 40 years old, so Abraham is how old? 140, okay? And so we're going to see it. And so how did they get the bride? How will they know if she's the right one? All of those kind of things. We saw last time the story, and we'll just, re just re review it really quickly, but remember he made that trip and, and, and prayed to God. that God, the, 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 And this is the guy, we don't even have the name. The guy's, he's just the servant. That's all he's called. And, and he gets there and he finds the bride and he talks to the family. And that's where we ended last time, right in the middle of him talking to the family. So we'll see it tonight tonight as we go through it. So let's start. And, and, and listen, why is it so important that Isaac has a bride? He's got, I mean, he's got to have, the, I mean, Abraham to Isaac, and Isaac's got to have children to, so the seed will come and keep on going out. So it's very, very important. So tonight we start thinking about it. We think about brides and babies go together. I mean, that's, that's what we're seeing. And, and Isaac was the promised son of Abraham, and through him the Messiah is going to come, but he's got to be married. He's going to have to be married and have a son if he's going to carry it on. And so we saw last time that Abraham said, I, I've got to have a bride for my son. And so this evening we're going to see that, but there's so many things. Let me, let me just show you. We're going to see three things. And this is why we call this the last one about Abraham, because he's going to die in this passage or this stuff tonight. So we're going to see the bride for Isaac, which we, start, we started seeing some of that last week. We're going to see the death of Abraham, and we're going to see the twins are born. And as we look at this, there's all kind of implications in there about these twins and about... Uh, let me ask you something. So so Abraham had two sons. What were their names? Ishmael let's say, and Isaac. This is not right and good. Let's see if we can find one that writes better. Okay, so... But this was the older son, and yet God said, no, 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 this is not the son. This is the son of the promise. Is that right? Okay, Isaac's going to have how many sons? Two. He's going to have two. Who are they? And Jacob and Esau. Who's the oldest? Esau. Esau. And so the promise of the oldest son was supposed to get the blessing and all that good stuff, and Ishmael didn't get it. But Isaac did, because that was the promise. And we're going to find that two sons here, Esau and Jacob, and the oldest one normally, what, gets it, but he doesn't get it. Jacob gets it. 
And we're going to see it as we go through and how God does these sort of things. So let's think about the bride for Isaac. And this is where we are in chapter 24. And we're going to remember he wanted a bride for his son, but not from the Canaanite women. He did not want, a, he basically saying, I don't want anybody from the pagans around. I want you to go back to the family, at least from the family, because I'll know that. And so he sent his servant to make this long trip back to the homeland. And we had the map last time. They left and they go back close to 500 miles going back to Haran which is where they left from the Ur of the Chaldees, went up to Haran, and then from Haran to the Promised Land. And so they're going back there. And we saw that this servant, and what is amazing, the servant, he's never even named. We're going to talk about him in just toward the little bit. He makes this long trip. He gets there. He's at that area, and he starts asking people, does anybody know who these people are? And they say, oh, yeah, yeah, we know who you're talking about. We know that family. He said, does anybody know Haran's family? Does anybody know uh, the descendants of Terah? Does anybody know any of these people? They go, yeah, yeah, we know them. They, they live around here. And then all of a sudden, they come out. And, there, and he's, he's basically saying, oh, Lord, I, I don't know what woman is going to be the right one, but uh, when, somebody, when they come out, I'm going to... She's going to, I mean, we're going to look at it, and she's going to say, I'll give you some water, and I'll water your camels. And that's really unusual. That's a big job. I mean, water for a person, but water for camels. I mean, think how many things she had to fill up to do that. And so this was going to be a big deal. And so he says, and she came out, and she was beautiful. And he said, oh, Lord, if this is the one, let me know. And she says, I'll give you some water, and I'll water your camels. And he said, who are, you, who are your relatives and she names them, and that's his, the family. And she, she goes, he goes, this is perfect. And he says, well, I, this looks like she's the right one. He put rings and everything, gave her all this kind of fancy stuff. And she went home to tell her mother, and she has a, a, a brother, right? And uh, when the brother comes, he goes, where did, you get all, where did you get those bracelets? Those are nice, you know? And so we're going to find out what kind of guy Laban is. Right? We're going to find out what kind of guy he is. When we first meet him, we think Laban's okay because he invites them all to come and the servant to come and he says, uh, give you food and everything. And, and they said, Let, we're going to have this, this big meal and we're going to sit down and we're going to have a great time. But the servant says, I can't eat until I've completed my business. And so if you want to look, oh, look, look back at verse 30 of 24. This is Laban. Uh, Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. That's verse 29. Laban ran outside to meet the man. When he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's wrist, and he heard the words of Rebecca, his sister, saying, this is what the man said to me. He went to the man, and he said, come on in and everything. I wonder why he wanted him to come on in so easily. Huh? Huh? This man's rich. He said, this guy's got some stuff. He's got some bracelets. He's got some stuff. And so, I mean, we're not going to turn this guy away. And so he brings him in and everything and says they unloaded everything. And then verse 33, when the food was set before him to eat, he said, I will not eat until I've told my business. And he said, speak on. Now think about this. They brought in the food and they would say something like this. Look, look let's eat. Have a great night. And then, then you can tell us why you have come. And he said, no, I'm not even going to eat. I'm not going to eat until I tell you why I've come. And we go, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. And so the servant begins to tell his story. And if you remember, he said, I'm Abraham's servant. They probably know who Abraham is. You don't understand that, right? Well, tell me the connection. Abraham's married to who? Sarah. Sarah okay. And, and I, so what's, what's all the connections there? 
I mean, that's his relatives. So you see, that's where Abraham came from, from Terah and Haran and all of this and Lot. And so they're all connected there. And so when they said, Abraham, he said, I'm Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master. So he's become what? Rich. Rich. What do you think Laban's thinking? That's good. That's good news. That's good news. And he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and servants, everything in there. Now, Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master in her old age. How old was she? 90. And has given him all that he has. So he doesn't even have brothers and sisters that might get this inheritance. This man they're talking about, his daddy is completely rich and he's going to get everything. So Laban's going... Just keep talking. Just keep talking. He said, My master made me swear, saying, You'll not take a wife from the sons of the daughters of the Canaan in the land to live. You shall go to my father's house and to my relatives and take a wife from my son. I said to my master, Suppose the woman won't come. And he said, The Lord by whom I walk will send his angel with you to make your journey successful, and you will take a wife from my son, from my relatives, and from my father's house. So he's basically saying, What if she won't come? He said, Listen. God's working this out. It's going to happen. And then he said, but, that when you, but then you will be free from the oath when you come to my relatives, and if they don't give her to you, you can be free from oath. And so he says, the oath is don't take somebody there, but if you get there and everything still doesn't work out exactly right, and they say, no, she won't come, there's nothing else you can do about it. You just got to come back. So, but we all know that it's going to work. I mean, it just, it just got to. That's how we'd say in real life. You know, it just got to work. And so look what happens. He explains, uh, he tells his story, and, and what was the servant's plan? I've got that written down for you. Look at it in verse 42. He said, so I came to the spring, and I said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you will make my journey on which I go successful. Behold, I'm standing by the spring, and may it be that the maiden who comes out to draw and to whom I say, Please let me drink a little water from your jar, she will say to me, You drink, and I will draw water, uh, I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Now, he just told him, He said, I, I went out there and I said, Somebody's going to come out, and I'm going to ask one, some girl, and I'm going to say, Can you give me some water? And she'll say, Not only will I give you water, I'll water your camels. He said, before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with a jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew. And I said to her, please give me a drink. And she quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will what? I will water your camels also. So I drank the water camels also. He, he's going, this, this is perfect. This is exactly what I thought was going to happen. In fact, if you look at the top of the next page, what did Rebecca do? She said it. She said, well, I'll, I'll give you something to drink. And, and so he reviews the story, tells about his plan and his prayer. And when he finished speaking, Rebecca came and she offered the water to the servant and to the camel. So this is exactly, exactly what he had hoped would happen. And so what did the servant realize? And there's this, there is no coincidence, there's no fate, and there's no chance. Now let me ask you a question, but we'll just, we'll come back to this in just a second. Is there such a thing as fate and chance and luck and coincidence? What do you think? No. There's no such thing. Listen, no, there's no such thing. When you say good luck, we, we don't, as believers, we don't mean good luck. There's no such thing as good luck. There's no such thing as chance. It's, it's not like, oh, it just so happened. No, God is working all things according to the counsel of His will. He's a sovereign God. He works everything in our lives. There's no such thing as fate or chance or luck. And we don't have to say, oh, that's bad luck. We say, no, no, God is working all things, even the good things, even the bad things. And so the, this servant recognized it. 
And he recognized the fact that God is working this, and he said that there is no chance, there's no fate, there's, there's no coincidence, and we got to understand that. And so here's what he says in verse 49 and 50. He said, so... If you're will, if you're if you're going to deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. If not, let me know that I may turn right hand to left. He says, if this is the right one, this is the one that we think is supposed to be. Let me know. I mean, if not, if you don't, if you don't want her to go, if you don't think it's going to be right, then let me know because I can go to the right or left. I can still keep looking because I I, I don't know what it's going to be. And look what they said, uh, Abraham. Uh, then they said. Uh, then Laban and Bethuel said, replied, he said, the matter comes from the Lord. Now, well, you know what they just said? What did they just say? What did they just say? This is from God. It's not, you know, it's not chance. Let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. They basically say, yeah, she's, she's the right one, must be. That's about the only thing we can figure. So in verses 50 to 51, we've got what did the family say? And notice it goes on to say, uh, here is Rebecca before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. Abraham's servant heard these words. He bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. And then, and then we're going to see what he does in just a second. But look, they said, take her, take her and go. Now, let me ask you a question. They didn't even ask her. Do you see them saying, well, let's bring her in and ask her what she thinks about all this? Did it matter back then? I, well, that's the question. Did it matter back then? Was she... Uh, a piece of property? Was she the daughter of somebody and he could just give her away if he wanted to? Did she have any choice? And in some situations, did matchmaker, matchmaker, maybe did people just decide, okay, you're going to marry and you're going to marry and that's the way it is. And in some cultures, you know that there are arranged marriages and, and this is like an arranged marriage. Is it, why didn't they ask her? Well, maybe the custom wasn't to ask her. Maybe the custom was that the father or the brother or whoever would decide, or maybe it was so obvious that she wanted to go. I mean, when she came back with the bracelets and everything, she could be saying, oh, this, this is exciting, you know? Uh, you know, and, and uh, so when we think of stuff like this, you go, what is going on? And look what he does. Look what he does in verse 53. The servant brought out the articles of silver and articles of gold, and garments, and gave them to Rebecca. And notice, he also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. What's Laban going? Thank you very much. Thank you very much. I'll take some of that. Yeah, I'll take some of that. I mean, so Laban is saying this is not a bad deal at all. And what do you think? Let me just, what do you think Rebecca's thinking? Yeah, I hope he's cute. I hope he's not old. You know, I hope he's not old. Golly, I hope he's young. Because we don't know. I mean, we know he's... How old is he right now? He's at least 40. Of course, that's not old. But maybe, you know, if you normally got married at 14, maybe a 40-year-old might be a little bit old. Who knows? But anyway, so she... she, But I actually think that probably she doesn't have much choice in the matter as far as would she do this or not. Now, we're going to see... The family's, you know, going to ask in a minute. And so here's the big question. He's, he's given the down payment, right? You understand that, that they bought a bride. They bought a bride. Even under the Jewish culture, when the guy went, when a guy sent by his father to the father of the bride, that he, the girl that he wanted to marry, when he went in, he took money. He took 
he took money and he set it down and basically asked the father to marry the daughter. And of course, if he was in agreement, then they brought the daughter in. Now, in the Jewish culture, the, the girl could come in and they poured two little, two little things of wine, whatever. And if she drank it, she's basically saying, I will marry you. If she left the room, she's saying no. And so she did have some input. But most of the time, when a father said, you will marry, that's who she married. That's the culture. And even this aspect, they, they didn't say, what do you think? They said, well, obviously this is from God, so you got her. And he said, well, I, I, got, I got some presents for everybody. And so he starts handing out the presents, and he gave all these things to Rebecca. And Rebecca's saying, I'm feeling better about this already, right? When the, the more presents she's got, and as, as Charlene said, she says, I just hope he's cute. And uh, so we don't know what, what to think. And so look what happens. It, they're ready to go, right? Verse 55 uh, okay, then the man, let me just show you in verse 54 the men who there were they ate and they drank and they spent the night they got up the next morning and he said send me away I'm ready to go I'm ready to take Rebecca but the brother said no no let the girl stay with us a few days say 10 afterwards she may go the family the family is not ready for her to leave why what, what's going on did they think he would leave without her did they think maybe that she would come at a separate time did they think that he would have to wait 10 more days? Now, he seems to me like he's sort of in a what? I mean, he got there. He said, I know I'm not messing around. This is from my master. This is what he wants to do. She's the right one. Everybody says, yes. Okay, we're going to spend the night. We're getting up the next morning, and we're leaving. And the family said, no, 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 no. Let's, let's, let's like 10 days. Notice how they put it in the scripture. Let's stay with us a few days, say uh, 10. <laughs> Why did, I mean, they don't want, they're not ready for her to leave. What, give me some reasons why you think. That's a possibility that they thought, well, the longer this guy stays, the more presents he may hand out. Right? Who knows? But here's what they did. Now watch what they did. He said, no, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered. my look, God's worked this thing out. Let me, send me away that I may go see my master. And they said, well, we'll call the girl and see what she wants. Okay, I don't think they're asking, will you marry him? I think she's asking him, do you want to go now or wait 10 days? I think they already decided the other one. And so they said, we'll call you. They called Rebecca and they said, will you go with this man? And what did she say? I will go. I will go. Will you go with this man? Yes. Yes, I will go. She's going to have to trust God, doesn't she? And we don't come from the cultures. That that people arrange marriages, and sometimes people get married. They don't. They don't even know what the. They don't know the person before they marry them. I remember <clears throat> hearing uh, a person from India speak, and he had an arranged marriage, and he did not know his wife till the day they got married. And somebody said, "Well, how could you love her?" And he said, "I chose to love her, because we know love is not a feeling." Love is a choice. Now, love has feelings with it, but love is a choice. That's why when you stand before God and you say, will you, you know, da-da-da-da, till death do you part? I do. You're not saying I'll do as long as I have feelings. It has nothing to do with feelings. Love is a commitment. God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. So it, it, in reality, some people say, well, I don't know. Somebody could marry somebody they don't even know. How could you love somebody you don't know? Love is a choice, you know? Uh, I'm not saying this is the best way, 
but you know, it's so amazing. I remember one time a group of college kids asked me to come do a, do a, a study what the Bible said about dating. What does the Bible say about dating? Absolutely nothing. It doesn't say anything about dating. The, the, the culture didn't date, right? So when you say, what do you say about dating? I say, I guess you can do whatever you want because the Bible doesn't say anything about that. About, you know. So the bottom line is they're, they're going to leave. And so look what happened. And so then they sent, uh, her, uh, they sent their sister Rebecca and her nurse with Abraham's servant and his men. And they and his men and they blessed Rebecca and said, "May your may you our sister become thousands of ten thousand. May your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them." They're basically saying, "You're going to really be blessed. You're going to have a whole bunch of kids, and everything's going to be just fine." And Rebecca rose with her maids. They mounted the camels and followed the man. So the servant took Rebecca and departed. Isn't this amazing? This is we see God is working in all this. You're going to have to trust God. She's going to have to trust God. It's, you know, it, it may be easier to trust somebody who's rich than somebody who's poor, but the bottom line is she, she has no idea what he is like. And she doesn't, all she knows is he, is he is a relative of her family, and she's going to a land she's never been to. She's heard about it, and she's going to go there and marry somebody she doesn't even know. And so look what happens. They left. Verse 61, they rose, got, got on the camels, and left. And so on the trip back, now look what happened. Look what happened. Now Isaac had come uh, from going to Bear Lahai Roy, for he was living in Negev. That, that's in the very southern part. And he went out to meditate in the field toward the evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, what did he see? He saw some camels coming. And listen, we're not talking about a lone camel. We're talking about a caravan. They didn't make a trip like that by themselves. It says well, already that the servant, servant didn't go by himself. Abraham's what? He's rich. Remember he had 315 soldiers in his own camp. He sent out this servant and a, a caravan and everything, and they made the trip down there. They've got a big caravan coming back. And here comes Isaac. He goes out in the evening, and he looks up, and he goes, Oh, the camels are coming. What does he know? Most likely, that's the servant coming back. We don't know how long it would take. And so he looks up. He's gone out to meditate and to think, and he saw the caravan. And so what happens? This is what's amazing. Think about this. Look what happened. So Rebecca lifted her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she got off the camel. They got close enough, and she saw him, and she got off the camel. And why? I, well, and she said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? Because he saw the camels, and he starts walking toward them. She gets off the camel, and she says, who, who, is, who is that? Who is that? And he said, he is my master. Who said that? The servant. He's my master. And then she took her veil and covered herself. Now listen, this veil was the sign of betrothal. I think one of the reasons she got off is she said, I want to make sure I do everything right. Is he the right one? And the guy said, that's my master. That's the one. She took this veil and she covered her face like this. And that was a sign of betrothal. And what they would do, my understanding is, at the wedding, at the ceremony, she would take the veil off and put it on his shoulder. And that means she uncovers herself to him and she lays that on there 
for protection. She's saying, I'm marrying you, and you are my protector. That's what she's really doing. It's really, really, really incredible. And so what did Isaac do? So it, look what it says. So uh, the man walked out there and told, so the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. He told Isaac, this is what I went, and I got her, and she's the one that came. Then Isaac brought it into her mother's Sarah's tent, and he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after the death of his mother. So some people say that, you know, his mother wanted to get married. She's already dead. But it's sort of like, well, mom would be happy if she knew this. So he married Rebekah, and he what? What does it say? He loved her. Did he know her? I mean, he's going to know her, but he doesn't know her right now. He just barely knows her. And so it's so amazing. Now, think about this. What if this was you? First of all, what if you were the servant? Would you have done it this way? What if you were Isaac? Would you have said, maybe I ought to go on this trip and pick one out? I mean, you know? And, and, and they said, no, 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 he's not going up there. We're not going to get a woman from here, but he's not going. And, and what if you were her? And so when you think about this, have you realized that this is a foreshadow? It's a picture. Look, a bride for Isaac and a bride for Christ. Have you thought about that? Abraham wants the bride and God wants a bride uh, for, the, for his son. And he sends the servant and he sends the Holy Spirit. You know, it's funny that the servant's name is never mentioned. And the Holy Spirit always talks about Jesus and the Father. never talks about himself. He, they find Rebecca. He, God finds the church. Uh, the price is paid. The price is paid for the church. What's the price for us? The 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 the, birth, the the blood is shed. The price is paid. Rebecca agrees. She said, I will go. What do we do? We come by faith. Whoever believes has eternal life. And Isaac meets Rebecca in the field. Christ meets the church in the air. I mean, it's not perfect or anything, but it's it almost is a foreshadow of Jesus Christ picking us as the bride of Christ, the church which is the bride of Christ. So it's so perfect. And so I put that little handout in there for you so you could see that and use that. Now, so... Now what's going to happen? Everything's looking good except Abraham's going to die. You know when you study these people and you actually study them and you start digging it, you begin to know them and then you get sad like when they die. Like when Abraham dies, you go, Abraham died. And you go, how could Abraham? And then when Paul died, I remember I never, when I started studying Paul and I mean I loved Paul, I still love Paul. And I didn't even want to know how he died. Because I, I just I knew he didn't make it. I mean, I knew he got to prison and then thrown in prison the second time and all that kind of stuff. And I knew when he wrote Second Timothy that he was ready to be poured out as a drink offering. He was going to die. But I didn't even want to know. I didn't want to even read it from history how they think Paul died. Because I mean, I just I you know now I know and everything. And so when you think about stuff like this and you go Abraham, then let me ask you a question. One day, do you think you will get to talk to Abraham? I think so. I think so. I'm going to ask him, what was it like offering up Isaac? What did he really think? I mean, he, he seemed to have not one bit of hesitation. God told him to do that. It said the next morning, got up, loaded everything up, and took off. I mean, I think I would have said, I'm going to wait a couple of days, see if God come and changes his mind. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, so this is amazing. So let's think about the death of Abraham. And so chapter 25, now Abraham took another wife. Well, <laughs> how old is he? He's probably, how old? At least 140. Abraham, what are you doing? Now watch. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah, so she bore him 
Wait, what? What? He's 140 years old. He's got more kids. Look, Zimram and, and there's listing all these kids, and they start telling everything about them. And so he has he has kids. And uh, Sarah died at age 137, and he marries a second time. He marries somebody named Keturah. And Abraham has a number of sons, but but of all these sons, only one. Notice verse 5. But Abraham gave all that he had to who? To Isaac. So let's, let's keep looking at this because you, you've got Abraham giving everything to Isaac. Abraham had one son, Ishmael. Then he got married to somebody else. And how many sons? I mean, you, if you just look real fast, if you just start... How many did you see he counted right there? There's one, two, three, four, five. There's six right there, right? So he has six other sons. They could say, where's our part of the inheritance? And you know what he said? I'll give you some stuff, but you don't get the stuff. You don't get the main stuff because Isaac gets the main stuff. Isaac is the son of the what? We can never forget that. God made the promise to Abraham. What was it? He was going to give him three things. What were they? The land, the seed, and the blessing. The land is the land, what we call Israel and the surrounding areas. The seed is the offspring and the Messiah. And the blessing is the salvation to the whole world through Jesus Christ. And so Abraham is that guy. And we're going to find that God says the exact same thing to Isaac. And then later we're going to find he says the exact same thing to Jacob. Exact. And we'll see it as we go through it. That's the promise that God is making. So look what happens. Uh, everything, all, all he, he, the inheritance belongs to Isaac. That's who it belongs to. It doesn't belong to anybody else. And in fact, it, notice it says, but the sons of the concubines, Abraham gave gifts and everything while he is still living, and, and he sent them away. He sent them away. You know what? I almost want to say, let me just say this in a nice way. I'm going to say, Abraham, well, then why did you marry somebody else and have these kids if you're just going to send them away? I mean, let's face it, just... I mean, you're already 140-something years old. Did you need any more kids? I mean, but, I mean, Abraham would say, well, you just, you don't know. I'd, okay, you're right, I don't know. The years, all the years of Abraham's life that he lived were 175 years. So uh, he was 175 years old. Now, when did we first know him? When he was what? How old? 75. We have seen him for how long? A hundred years. I think it's just amazing when you think about this. So he's a hundred years old. And back in Genesis fifteen fifteen, God said, promised him he would die in a ripe old age. Would you say 175 is a ripe old age? It is. And he, and he lived a good life. And listen, he lived a great life. And we're going to find that Isaac's going to live a great life and Jacob is going to live a great life. Listen, and, and notice what it says here. It says, All the years Abraham that did live were 175 and Abraham breathed his last name, died in a ripe old age, and says, and he was gathered to his people. That means, we, that means he went to the place of the dead. What is the place of the dead called in the Old Testament? What? Sheol. Sheol. That, or later it was nicknamed what? Abraham's bosom because Abraham's there. So we'll see how it goes. He's gathered to his people. Now, let's talk about Abraham for just a second. Uh, Abraham was 175. He was a man of what? What do you want to say? A man of what? A man of faith. Exactly. A man of 
faith. In fact, when you start reading the New Testament, what you find out is that Abraham is the picture of a person who believes God, who comes to God by faith. Abraham is the man of faith. And when you look in the New Testament, you look at the book of Galatians, you look at the book of Romans, when Paul is writing all this stuff, he says Abraham is the man of faith. And Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for what? Righteousness. And he is justified by faith. Abraham is a man. He's a picture of us. It says, if you want to be right before God, you've got to do the same thing Abraham did. And that was he believed God. He trusted God. And we have to do the same thing. Let's talk about him for a second. When you think about it, over and over, he was a man of faith. And think about this. By faith, he left what? He left Ur of the Chaldees to go to the promised land. By faith, when Lot and all that stuff was going on and God had already promised him all the land, he was willing to let Lot do whatever he needed to do. By faith, he sent away Ishmael. See, at one point, you remember, he said, Oh, but, oh, Lord, if Ishmael could only live before you. That was before Isaac was born. He was basically saying, Why don't we just do it through Ishmael? God said, No, that's not the promise. And then by faith, he waited, what? 25 years for the promised son. He was 75 when he got the promise. He was 100 when the son was born. By faith, this is the big one to me, offered up Isaac as a sacrifice to God, believing that God would raise him from the dead. I, I, that, to me, is, is beyond everything. And he's, he's a great man of faith. Now, now, here's the question for all of us. We're to be what? Are we men and women of faith? Do we take God at his word? Do we believe him? And let, let's think about this. Uh, let's think about the whole issue of salvation. Salvation is by what? By faith. Salvation by Galatians 3.26, your children of God, by faith. Romans 3.28, we maintain a man's justified by faith. I mean, 3.26, 3.28, but they're both saying that we're, uh, in fact, look, you're all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.28, for we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. So the, uh, salvation is all by what? It's by faith. Let me ask you this. What about the Christian life? It's by faith. Christian life, 2 Corinthians 5, 7, for we walk by what? By faith, not by sight. So we're to be like Abraham. And that's why when you study the Old Testament, listen, I'm going to talk, i got some guys that I meet with on Thursday mornings, and I'm going to bring something to them tomorrow. It is a book review of, a, of one of the leading pastors in the United States. He has just written a book. And Bob Wilkin of GES, who holds, who believes like we do, is reviewing the book. And this pastor says, we don't need the Old Testament. The Old Testament has nothing to do with us. And he basically says that the writers were inspired, but not the Bible was inspired. And, and he says that when someone would come up to you and ask you, in the Old Testament, when God like killed these people and did these things, what do we should we think of that? He says you just say, I have no idea what kind of God that is anyway, and it doesn't make any difference. Now let me ask you something. Is it important what the Bible says, especially the Old Testament? Does not the New Testament say that the things that were written in the past were written for our what? instructions exactly so should we study the old testament are we having any fun 
studying these people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph? I mean, we, I mean, there's so much there that we're going, Abraham's a man of faith. We watched what Isaac did. We watched how Abraham offered his son up. We watched how Isaac did this. We watched how Rebekah was willing to go. We've seen all these things. Do you think these are important for us? So this, this is why it is vital that when we see somebody and it says, Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness that we take that truth and we can say that Paul says that what Abraham did, we have to do. We have to believe God and it is counted to us for righteousness. So we can't ever take it for granted and we got to look at the whole Bible because God gave us the Word of God. Well, look what happens in Genesis, what is it, 25, 9 and 10. The sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah. Guess what? Isaac and Ishmael come together. Now, are they friends? Did you know that um, when Isaac was born and Ishmael was about, what, 14, 14 or 15? Um, uh, Ishmael made fun of Isaac when he was a little boy. And one day, the mama saw it and she said, I can't handle this anymore. And so they, they ran him off. They ran him off. They ran Hagar and Ishmael off. So Ishmael and Isaac are not close. And yet, when Abraham dies, who comes to bury him? The two sons do. Then the son, then his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave of Machpelah. Where's that? Who's buried there? Sarah. Sarah's buried there. Wow. How old was she when she died? 137. How old was Abraham? 175. We're going to see him. We're going to see how they live. And and so this. Notice what it says in the cave of Machpelah in the field of Ephron, the son of Zophar, the Hittite, facing Mamre. Memory is the other guy. So we know the place. We had the picture, was it last week, that I showed you the, the, the cave of Machpelah? You know, wow. Someday, who knows, someday you might go over to Israel and, and see the cave of Machpelah and say, That's, Abraham's buried there. Anybody else buried there? Sarah's buried there. Who else is buried there? Isaac's buried there. Rebecca's buried there. Yeah. Jacob's buried there. Leah's buried there. Not Rachel. I can't hear you. I, I didn't get to go see the cave of Machpelah. I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, we know that it's supposed to be there, but you know, the things have changed so much now, you can't even hardly get to Bethlehem. You can't even go to the Bethlehem like you used to go to Bethlehem. And because of the West Bank and, the, and because of the, uh, what's happened on the West Bank, it, it, some parts of that part, you can't even go to it anymore. It's really, a, it's really a disaster. It is. So a lot of the good things that we used to go see, you can't see anymore. So let's do this. Let me, oh, I'm looking at time. We may have to go a little faster. So Isaac and Ishmael, huh? I, I could talk faster. So Isaac and Ishmael come and they bury Abraham. And so in 2511, we get this summary. Look what this is. It came about out of the death day that God blessed his son Isaac. And Isaac lived by Beerlahirah, which is down Beersheba. It's down the southern part of Israel. Now, what's going to happen next? Well... We're going to have some babies, which is what we've been expecting, right? Now, so we're saying, let me, let me erase this. Why does, a, why does Isaac need to have a child? Because this, so we know it's going to go from Abraham to Isaac and then Isaac to his son. We got a little problem. The two of them. Watch what happens. The twins are born. I identify with twins because I'm a twin and... Twins tend to cause a lot of trouble. Okay. So, 
So, so in this picture before the birth, we see this is something amazing. There are going to be two, two sons, and one's name is what? And one's name is? And we find that there's an issue. Okay, wait a minute. The promise has got to come through what? one of these two sons. Now, who's the firstborn? Esau's firstborn. This is the secondborn. So naturally, naturally, it's going to come through Esau, or so we think. But it's not. It's going to come through Jacob. So watch what happens. We're going to see this. We're going to see God's choice. And I want to show you something. When we get to it, I'm going to read you some things, and I want you to see what happens and how people misread the Scripture. Okay? So I want you to see this. So look what happens in verse, what, 19. Now, here's the record of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old. He took Rebekah, the daughter. And then Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because she is barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. So we're saying, well, this is wonderful. This is just what we wanted to happen. But then what happened? But, but the children... Uh, struggle together with her. She's feeling something going wrong. Something's not right. There's this battle going on. She says, if so, why am I this way? So she went and inquired the Lord. Somehow she went straight to God. And she said, what's going on? And what did he say? The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So basically... When we see when we see this, Abraham was a man of faith. Jacob has a nation named after him. Joseph's a man of carriage. But when you get to Isaac, he's mostly just called Abraham's son or Jacob's father. It's little glamour, and we're going to see just what little. There's just not a whole lot about him, and it seems his greatest event was when he was offered up on the altar. And so now he, he's. 40 years old, he's married Rebecca. We saw the story of the servant going after him. Rebecca is pregnant, and they've got a problem. Two nations, two nations, two people are inside. That's why there's a struggle. In fact, the, the word struggle there is the word for extreme pain. She was having all kind of pain. And he said, basically, the older serves the younger. The older will serve the younger. Now, let me ask you a question. What is he talking about? What is the Bible talking about when God says to Rachel, uh, to, to uh, Rebecca uh, and to Isaac, y'all going to have two sons, one's going to be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. What is he saying? What's it, tell me what that means. Hmm? He's basically saying this guy gets it, right? This one's going to come under this one. Now, normally the older one would get it. He'd get the birthright. He'd get all the good stuff. He'd get everything. In fact, let me just show you something. That normally the older son gets the birthright, the double portion, the priesthood, the blessing. They get it all. In fact, if, if you had two sons, when it was divided up, he would divide it into thirds. And one son would get two-thirds and the, the next son would get one-third. So the oldest son always got a double portion. And so, but... But what, he, what we, he's telling them is what? The older son's not going to get the double portion. The older son's not going to get the blessing. It's going to go to who? So if we know Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to who? Jacob. Why? Why not the older son? Because that's what God said. Because that's exactly the answer. I want you to turn to Romans chapter 9. 
Hold your place there and turn to Romans chapter 9. And I want you to see something. And the reason I want you all to turn there is because you're going to find that people quote Romans chapter 9 and they think it's saying one thing and it's saying something else. Romans chapter 9, we're going to look at 10, 11, and 12, okay? And you got, what do we find in Romans 9, 10, 11, 12, 13? Look what this says, verse 10. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived, what? Twins by one man, our father who? Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose according to His choice would stand, not because of works, but because of Him who called, it was said to her, the older shall serve the younger. Now, is this talking about salvation? No. no. What's it talking about? God picked Jacob service. When God chose Abraham, was it about salvation? No. Abraham, I'm going to give you a land, a seed, and a blessing. It had nothing to do with salvation. He's using Abraham. When Abraham got Isaac and he chose Isaac above Ishmael, he says, land, seed, blessing. It doesn't have anything to do with salvation. No. When God chose Jacob above Esau, does it have anything to do with salvation? No. When you read Romans 9, 10, and 11, and it talks about God's choice, most people think he's saying God chose Jacob to be saved and Isaac not to be saved. That's completely wrong. In fact, God didn't choose anybody to be saved. God did not pick out people to save them and not save others. The election that you hear about, and people talk about, well, God chose some people and He didn't serve. It, the, the election is for service, not for salvation. And when you get that, it'll change your whole view. Okay, look what He says. Though the twins were not yet born, neither done good nor bad. It has nothing to do with good or bad. It's God's choice. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. God said, I'm calling Jacob to do this. Did God use Daniel? Did God using Daniel have anything to do with his salvation? Did God use Paul? Did it have anything to do with his salvation? Did God use Pharaoh? Did that have anything to do with salvation? Did God use Paul? Paul actually says, God called me in my mother's womb, not for salvation, but that he would be a light to the Gentiles. He didn't say, God called me in my mother's womb to save me. So I want you to understand, when you start looking at election in the Bible, you're going to find that election is for service and it is not for salvation. And so be real careful, and that's why I wanted you to see this, that the older son, and notice, and go back to uh, Genesis Go back to Genesis 25, and I just wanted you to see that because it's so important. He says, two nations are in your womb, and the older will serve the younger. So he's saying, I'm picking one out, and I'm picking one out. That has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with service. Listen, if, it, if he had picked Esau, Jewish people would have come through Esau. We would have said, 
Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But we don't say Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. We say what? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because the Jewish people come through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We don't say Abraham, Ishmael. Now, Muslims say Abraham, Ishmael. Because they think that everything came through Ishmael. But the Bible doesn't say it came through Ishmael. It says it comes through Isaac. And so it's Abraham, Isaac, to Jacob. So watch. And now, why is this so important? What did we get? I've got right down here. Um, uh, what do we find? What, what the God decides the twins are born. And by the way, the, 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 in case the older will serve the younger, the seed, the choice goes to the younger, Romans 9. Uh, ten. God chose Jacob because he what? Chose him. God chose Jacob to carry out the plan. Why did God choose Jacob? You know what God says he chose Jacob? Because he chose Jacob. He didn't say why. He didn't say because he was better. Well, let me ask you something. When you look at the two people, Jacob and Esau, and we're going to look at them in a little bit, who's the better person? Who would you like to hang around with, Jacob or Esau? Esau. You, you'd rather like, you, I think we'd all like Esau. Uh, in fact, we're going to get a little further up where Jacob has to leave and come back 20 years later. And we see what Jacob's been like for 20 years. And we're going to see what Esau has been like for 20 years. And so if you're picking people because you like them, we're going to all pick this guy. But that's not who God picked. It has nothing to do with salvation. The nation of Israel was chosen to carry out God's plan and purpose. They gave us the Word of God, and they gave us the Messiah. So let's see what happens. Look at verse 24. When her days were to be delivered, were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first one came out forth, what? Red all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Afterwards, his brother came forth with his hand holding on to Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob, and Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. Listen, when did he get married? When he was what? 40. It's been 20 years. 20 years. And so the two sons come. The first one came out. He's red and hairy. By the way, Esau means uh, red or, or sometimes even hairy. I mean, you can't even tell. The word Esau, it, it sometimes it has the idea of, of, uh, of red, but it also has sometimes the word for hairy. So they called him the hairy red guy. I mean, that's what he was. He came out and he looked funny. But look, Jacob came out and he was seizing. He was grabbing the heel of his brother. His brother came out early. It's almost like Jacob said, you can't come out ahead of me. And he was grabbing him. And yet the word seized by the heel is positive. It can mean to protect. It's also negative. It means to trick or to lie. Now, if you look at him carefully, uh, Jacob is going to be a, a, a deceiver. I mean, let's hate to say it. I mean, Jacob is a great man. In fact, God has called the God of Jacob more than any other name in the Bible. And yet, Jacob is sort of a tricky guy. I mean, he's just one of those guys. He's the oldest son. I mean, he's not the oldest son. Oldest son is going to get the birthright, the double portion, the priesthood, the blessing. Now, let me ask you a question. These boys are born. Based on what God has told them, what does Abraham, what, what does Isaac know about the blessing, the birthright, all that stuff. What does he know? It goes to who? Jacob. Jacob. He knows that, right? Does Rebecca know that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now let's, we're going to keep watching, okay? 
Not tonight, but we'll see it in the future. So look what happens. Verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter and a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now, I've had people read this and say, oh, I mean, they're weird. Like, one of them is kind of outdoors and one of them is like a sissy. That's not what it says at all. Uh, Esau was a hunter. He was a man's man. He loved to go hunt. He loved to do this. His father really loved him because he liked it. But Jacob, the word peaceful man means calm. It doesn't mean uh, a sissy type guy. It just means he was a peaceful man. He wasn't the kind of guy that, that, that liked to hunt. I mean, I imagine some of you in here, you love to hunt. Uh, I've hunted like twice in my whole life, and I didn't like it at all. My daddy never hunted, so I never hunted. And so, but I, I'm not a sissy. I'm telling you. Now, but the bottom line is, so, so here's one who's kind of the man who likes to well, I mean, he likes to hang around. So, And when we look at these two men, and if you get to the top of the next page, uh, Esau, uh, Esau loved the world. If you see, it's got Esau, flesh, temporal. He, he, he loved the things of this world. And he's called in the Bible an immoral man and a godless man. Now, you, we may like him, but you wouldn't, want your, you wouldn't want your daughter to marry him. Okay? Well, Jacob actually loved God and looked at things from the eternal point of view. So Esau was a man's man. Jacob was a peaceful man. But Esau was more fleshly. And we're going to see it as, we, as the Bible actually describes them. And it, it, uh, Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. And Rebekah loved ja- Jacob. And we're going to see more about that next time. Uh, in fact, here, here's the problem. we got a problem in the family. Let's do this, and we'll stop. We're almost to the end, but I want to show you something. So you got Isaac, right? And you got Rebecca, and you got the two boys, Esau and Jacob. And Isaac likes Esau, and Rebecca likes Jacob. They show favoritism. He's the man of the. He likes to stay around the house. This guy likes to go out in the field. He likes to eat what this guy cooks, and at least guy kills. And yet, if you said to Isaac, what did God tell you to do? goes right here. She knows it, and he knows it. And we're going to see what they do. So, what do you, Rebecca, she remember what God said, the older is going to serve the younger. So let me ask you a question. What do we count as important? Because we know that this man was temporal, and this man saw the eternal. What are we doing with our lives? Do we look at the temporal, or do we look at the eternal? Uh, There's two ways you can live. We can live for right now, or we can live for the future. And what we want to do is live for the future. We want to stand before Jesus Christ and Him say what? Well done, and we want to say, we, we want to say, you know, I, I served you now, and, and hopefully, Lord willing, they'll be well done, and there'll be rewards. We see the eternal, not the temporal. Because what, what does it profit a man if he gains the what? The whole world. Nothing. Okay, applications real quick. Let's be men and women of faith, like Abraham was. I mean, we... Christian life, I mean, well, think about this. For salvation, how? Simply by faith in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. We're justified by faith. Christian life, it's a walk of faith. Let's be men and women of faith. The second thing is, let's, may we trust God in the events of our lives. 
Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac being offered up. Isaac looking for a bride. Rebekah being willing to go. The servant trusting God in the whole situation. What do you see? You see people trusting God. I mean, it's an amazing thing. The third thing is, let's decide, let us realize that God is the one who decides our gifts and talents and ministries. You understand that? Who gave you your spiritual gifts? Who gave you your abilities? Who gave you your talents? Now, some of them you work on. I mean, like you may, some of you may have a, a talent that you, can, that you can play music. You could get on a piano, and with a little work, you could start learning how to play the piano. You could put me on the piano for 18 million years, and I'm never going to be able to play it. I don't have that. I, it doesn't match. I just don't do that. But you could. See, so he, who gave you that? And who didn't give me? I, I, I'd say, you didn't give me anything musical like that. He said, no, I didn't. Just go stand over there. Okay, I will. You know, and so that's what we get. Realize God is the one that does it. And when you look at it and you say, it doesn't seem fair that Esau got ripped off. Esau didn't get ripped off. And first of all, let me ask you a question. Which one of these men deserved to have the blessing passed down through? Nobody. Did Abraham deserve that God picked him out of the people and made him the father of the people of God? Did, God, did he deserve that? No. What about, what about Isaac? Did he deserve above Ishmael? No. What about Jacob and Esau? No. It's all the grace of God. It's his plan how he works all things. Now, we're not talking about salvation. Just remember that. And then when you get to the salvation, does any of us deserve salvation? No. But it's the grace of God that we can have, have eternal life. And the last one is let's live for the eternal and not the temporal. It is so easy to look at the things of today. And say, I gotta have this, I want this, I can't, oh, I don't know what I'm gonna do, I better save this, I better not do this. You just gotta trust God and say, Lord, whatever you got, I wanna do, I wanna live for you.